Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. I'm your host, Will Francis, and today I'll be talking to Mark Miller and Corey Perlander all about digital accessibility. Corey and Mark both work at TPGI, a provider of tools and services that help the world's biggest brands improve accessibility of their digital experiences. Corey is an account manager there. She collaborates with clients to make sure that digital works for everyone. Corey has a unique perspective on accessibility. She's been technically blind herself since the age of 10 due to a retinal disease called cone rod dystrophy. She's a busy professional, she's a mother of two, and so the challenges of getting stuff done digitally on a daily basis are obviously very real to her, and we'll hear all about that shortly. Mark is the director of Emerging Accounts and Platforms at TPGI. He's also the host of their Real People, Real Stories podcast, where he discovers the stories behind the people of accessibility. Corey, Mark, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much for having us. We're excited to be here. Awesome. We're here today to talk about digital accessibility, but do you know what? Before we really get stuck into the weeds of it, could you just give me the dummies overview? <laughs> what is digital accessibility? Digital accessibility is, in short, right, to, to keep it simple, it's just it's making sure that um, digital things like the web. The web's probably the best example that we have. Everybody goes to a website. We try to purchase stuff on a website. You look up information on a website. And digital accessibility is really just making sure that website can be used by everyone, regardless of their ability. And I think Corey can probably um, elaborate even a little bit more. And, and I'll let you tell them, Corey, but Corey is somebody who sort of relies on digital accessibility. So when I think of digital accessibility, I think of technology um, helping content be heard or worked through. And I guess what I mean by that is there's lots of people all over the globe that have some form of disability. And oftentimes they have to use assistive technology to be able to um, work through or hear or see a website or a mobile app or um, even a PDF document, for example, um, even when I'm at a grocery store and there's a kiosk, if there's something, um, if there's not something there that tells me what is on the screen, I can't see what's on the screen, right? So I have this very special um, technology that I use. It's called JAWS. Um, I believe JAWS is the world's um, most used um, screen reader. Yeah. And what that means is that it will speak what you all see on the screen, because I do have a little vision, but it's diminishing quite rapidly. And so over this past year, I have tried to jump in full force and, and learn how to hear and not see things. And um, if a website or a mobile app isn't accessible, that means my technology that allows me to hear what people see won't work. And so it's super frustrating um, from that sense. If if something can't be heard, therefore I can't complete an action, meaning I can't check out or I can't download something because, mm. for example, an image doesn't have a description or a link doesn't say this is a link, click on it. Um, and, and just in your day-to-day -day online activity, 
to what extent is the web that we all use set up for that? Is it, is it most of it or is it? No. Oh my gosh. Is it like Corey? Tell him what it's like. Oh man. I'm going to be kind. Because we've been today. talking about accessibility <laughs> since the nineties. I mean, literally I, the first time I heard about it was in the nineties. Yeah. 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 I mean, I can, I can add a little, little color and then I'll let Corey explain yeah. what yeah. it, what it's like, because uh, obviously, uh, you know, she, she deals with it day to day, but you, you bring up a good point, Will, that, um, here in the U.S., where Corey and I are both from, um, uh, George Bush signed in 1990 uh, the ADA, uh, and Title III of the ADA says that places of public accommodation need to be accessible. And what that meant at the time, Will, was, hey, if you're going to go to the library, if you're going to go to the grocery store, if you're going to go register your car, go to the park, you need to be able to access these public places regardless of ability and and um i know here in the us and i'm sure you you guys in the uk also have uh something similar we have curb cutouts right where there's yep. a little ramp cut out into the curb so if you're using a wheelchair um you can uh, get up on the curb just just going down the sidewalk so that was really those type of things were the real intent of the ADA. And you can see where that would be very useful to people in wheelchairs or people with these kind of mobility impairments. Well, what happened is that, you know, somewhere in the mid nineties, we started getting, uh, again, I think it was in the U S I don't know about you guys, but we got the AOL disc, you know, and everybody's here yeah. started hearing you've got mail. Right? Yeah. Um, and this was the first time that, that, that really the, the public started to get on the web and by the end of that decade, uh, they were starting to use it for public accommodations, meaning commerce was starting to happen. There was, you know, you were going to the web for information instead of the library, et cetera. So the ADA was not directed at the web. And for many years, this caused quite a bit of confusion when it came to digital content, which as we all know, was very rapidly becoming where we go to bank, where we go to buy things, where we go to register our cars, all these things we used to do. So it's a very good observation, Will, and it's uh, and it's an, an, an important sort of part of the history that really describes why it has been somewhat of a struggle to make digital content accessible. And I'll let Corey sort of explain or tell you what her experience has been like because of that. Mm -hmm. Just on that daily level, you know, when you're browsing the web, buying something, booking something, searching for some info, how do you find it? Great question. And, And that's kind of where I was going with this. So when I think about how I engage with technology, with the internet, with, you know, just stuff online, it's three buckets. So I am a professional, and so I have to be able to use technology from, um, you know, my email, my um, internal communications with my team members. Um, hey, can you just jump on Trello and check out that thing I put on there? <laughs> All that exactly, kind of exactly. And it's like, okay, where is it? Can I download it? Does it talk to me? There's a lot of things that if if you don't have the right accessibility, you know, um, in place, it it can get really uh, cumbersome or just not be able to happen at all. And then I have to lean on team members. And that's really frustrating for someone with a disability because you want to show your value. You want to show you're independent. Um, So anyhow, yes, there's all kinds of software that I have to interact with on a daily basis. I have to 
create documents and then convert them to PDFs. I have to use CRMs and, you know, create proposals. And so there's that whole world. And I can say that working for TPGI, which is an um, under Vespero, we're one of the world's um, leaders in employing people with disabilities. We, you know, everything regarding assistive technology for the blind and visually impaired and then TPGI, you know, being in the space, that world is very good. Um, you know, our team is aware of what technology is accessible and, and we have that in place and it works pretty darn well. I suppose the next obvious question is kind of what is the scale of, I suppose, what proportion of the population have these kind of issues? Because I really, I think it's important to make our listeners aware of that. You know, how many people don't have perfect vision and also is it just to do with vision is it just sight are there other impairments that can affect the way that people access the web because i suspect that it's more than one percent or whatever a lot of people out there assume right that's that's a, a, a great question there are statistics they're not off the top of my head um but the bottom line is and we can share those statistics statistics with you will so maybe you can um you can share them out. Um, but they, the bottom line is, is there's a lot of people with a variety of disabilities and um, a lot of those folks really um, make up a large percentage of disposable income. If we look in the U.S. at the number of people with disabilities, it's larger than the population of some smaller countries, right, mm. to give you an idea. But this is the really interesting thing, and I think this is what brings it home for everyone is that we're all going to need these accommodations one day, right? I, I call my dad, <laughs> or I call my mom, sorry, my dad's assistive technology because uh, my mom is always going, Andy, uh, you know, what, what, what's wrong? And my dad's, I, okay, I can't read this. I can't, can you do it for me? So um, as there, as we age, you know, we sort of collect these disabilities. Our, our vision starts to decline, uh, cognitively, we start to decline. We're more likely to have a mobility impairment, and it's just it's just reality. So, your consumers, if you're a um, you know if you're a, an e-commerce site, today's consumers are tomorrow's consumers with disabilities. So, you certainly don't want to alienate that group. Um, and and I think that that's just a hugely important concept. You know, the other the other question that you ask is like you know, what are we talking about when we talk about disabilities? And we have Corey on here who is blind. She's, she's losing her vision. And by the way, Corey is a, a young mom. So she's used to using technology and she is now trying to figure out how to use her assistive technology so she can continue to use technology. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the issues that that can bring up is, am I having a hard time accessing this website? because I don't know what I'm doing with my being new to this technology, or is the website not programmatically correct to work with my technology, right? Mm -hmm. But she's one type of person with a disability. She has low vision and she'll eventually be completely blind. There's people with hearing impairments that need the content uh, that's auditory, like this podcast, yeah. to have something like a transcription in order for them to be able to um, access the content. People with mobility impairments may not be able to use a mouse. So when they're on the web, they have to, just like Corey, because she's blind and eventually she won't be able to see to point a mouse somewhere. The key, 
they ha- everything has to be accessible purely through the keyboard for uh, a person like that. And I myself um, am in the category of cognitive disability because I have um, ADD and dyslexia both. I don't really need a whole lot of accommodation when it comes to websites. I do appreciate it when things are sort of simple and not distracting. Um, but people that are maybe um, on the autism, autistic spectrum or, or have more severe ADD than I do or, or mm. dyslexia than I do need accommodations as well. Simpler content, less flashing, the ability to stop movement, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, there's a lot of considerations vision. there, aren't there? We're, we're grouping things here. You say, yeah, we could be someone on the autistic spectrum one minute, someone who's got a visual impairment the next, mm-hmm. someone who's got a motor impairment. I mean, it's. I suppose it doesn't quite do service to like group because I'm just looking at Vispero's website. There's a 282 million visually impaired people globally. That's just visual impairment, 7.2 million in the US. Well, look and, at you. You found the statistics. I found the statistics. <laughs> and, Good job. You know, but and but there's all this these other range of things yeah. and for people who are lucky enough that I don't I don't think I have any impairments as I'm, as I'm aware and I, I you know I feel awful admitting this in front of you but you know we just forget about we forget about it we just get on with our lives you know yeah don't um, don't, don't feel bad about that because <laughs> I do now no I'm serious I mean a lot of people a, but, um, a lot of people we hear that a lot but you you shouldn't feel bad because you're just you're just- no, but I've always stood. I have always made sure that projects I've worked on have been accessible. I can say that mm-hmm. because I, I am aware of it, um, and I know it's important. But obviously, I can see why that gets missed. Why that maybe feels like it doesn't have a, a direct impact on the bottom line. Right. It's easy to miss if it's not if the issue isn't being forced at the point that someone that's, is that's relaunching so a website or app or something yeah. like that. So. I suppose, why do people come to you? At what point do they realize they need to come to you because they need help with this stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. So first of all, really don't don't feel bad. I'm in this industry. I'm, I'm exposed to people with all types of disabilities. I have what's called a hidden disability myself. I get it wrong all the time. I, mm-hmm. I forget. I, um, I don't accommodate or I'm not as sensitive or as thoughtful as I should be all the time. We, we, uh, we operate in this world according to our own perspective, and it takes a great deal of effort and exposure and all sorts of things to be good at uh, thinking about other people. To, to be to be quick in it. So it's, it's more about the effort and it's more about, I mean, you, you've got a podcast with us on it. So I think you're doing great, Will, because you guys are making an effort to understand. And that's, that's all yeah. we can ask. We can't ask for perfection. So there's a lot of reasons why um, people might come to us and, and we should define who's knocking on our door, right? It's usually businesses. It could be a small business. Um, more often than not, it's a, a, a medium to large or enterprise business, right? Um, uh, global names that we probably all would be aware of uh, come, come and knocking. And um, there's several reasons why they do. Probably the biggest driver here in the US is because of litigation, right? All of the all of what we talk about with the ADA and sort of the confusion around places of public accommodation has really put this in a place where it's been managed through the court system here in the US, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there is risk because there is an interpretation and, and nowadays it's pretty pretty solid, but um, you know, the Title III of the ADA says places of public accommodation need to be accessible. And um, uh, people who 
legitimately are having issues accessing something and 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 also in the good old us of a you can kind of sort of sue people for just because you want to so a lot of we it's called a tort law effort right there's just a lot of uh, demand letters and attention that's that's drawn so a lot of these organizations will come to us because they want to mitigate that risk and we are not legal counsel or anything like that but we can work with their legal counsel to come up with a strategy to improve the accessibility of their site, uh, monitor the accessibility of their site, help the organization understand how to continue to maintain accessibility for their digital content. And, um, uh, and, and so we tend to partner with these organizations for a long time and really help them do this efficiently and, and accurately over, over time. Um, so that's probably the biggest driver. However, there are some organizations out there that just understand that there is an audience for them that of people with disabilities and they want to do the right thing. They don't want to, as you, as you kind of started this, Will, they don't want to intentionally leave out a group of people um, from a, because they don't want to, right, from an altruistic standpoint. And then, of course, from a business standpoint, why would you want to take a whole section of customers and say, hey, please don't shop here or, or, or access whatever it is that we access. So maybe to a lesser degree, but um, that's another reason, you know, that that is also a reason why people come to us. What role do you play in that, Corey? Um, So I'm on the front line and I get to hear um, why people, you know, people come to us for a variety of reasons, as Mark said. And so there's sometimes where there's small businesses you know, just struggling to stay alive and they'll get a demand letter that says someone um, is not able to complete an action on their website. And so, you know, I can understand from a business standpoint, you know, the struggle to determine, do I spend all these dollars to go to court, to fight in court and, and make it right? And then moving forward, how do I how do I maintain accessibility when I don't even have a full-time web developer in-house? You know, there's a balancing act that especially small businesses have to do. I'm in the emerging accounts team. So I hear that story quite often, you know? Um, so I, I just want to say, I am amazed that that's how it begins a lot of the time. Yeah, it, it does. Um, mm. And, but then as, as Mark pointed out, there are more, um, I guess, mature um, teams or, or larger um, companies that come to us that have a accessibility team. Maybe it's small, maybe it's full-fledged, and they're just looking to partner with a more expert accessibility partner who can really take them to the next level. And, um, you know, oftentimes people are reactive, right? Maybe they start this whole process because they're uh, being sued, but then they realize the importance of it and how they can help, you know, make their assets more accessible and, and usable for all, because it's one thing for it to be accessible, but for it to be usable is really going beyond checking that mm. box, right? What's the difference? Well, to me, <laughs> um, we have we do have guidelines to follow. And, and I know that we'll probably talk about those later. There's something called um, WCAG, which is Web yeah. Content Accessibility Guidelines, right? Um, and there's very specific areas that speak to what makes something um, accessible. And there's different levels. And A is a, a most basic you know, accessibility feature. And then there's double A AA and triple A. Um, but 
for me as a person with a disability, I think going beyond just the guidelines is, is, you know, when you describe a, an image, you know, giving me an example of the shade of the color and, and, you know, taking it a little further to give yeah, me just like saying more clarity. Green, green curtains isn't yes. massively helpful. It would be better <laughs> if it said, exactly. uh, you know, olive green curtains with a slightly desaturated hue or, you know, with yellow piping yeah. on the edge or something like you want to actually, yeah, you, you need people to go that extra mile and really truly cater for yeah. the audience rather than just tick the boxes. It's not a box checking exercise. And right. Corey's quite the fast initiative, so it's very <laughs> important I do to her. like to shop online, man. Hello, a quick reminder from me that if you're enjoying our podcast series, why not become a member of the DMI so that you can enjoy loads more content from webinars and case studies to toolkits and more real-life insights from the world of digital marketing. Head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com forward slash ahead of the game to sign up for free. Now back to the podcast. Corey is right. There's technical conformance to the guidelines, which is a great place to start. And then what that means is that a, what that probably means is at the end of the day is you've created a product that's usable by people with disabilities. The the making it, you know, going into more of that usability makes it enjoyable to use. So when people look at a traditional sighted keyboard monitor mouse user that can hear, they test with those people. They say, hey, try out our website and, and let me know how you how you feel about it. Was it easy? Did you find this okay? It's about including people with a variety of um, ways that they would access the site. It's, it's including those people as well in that study. And in fact, earlier this year, um, so TPGI is under a, a, a umbrella called uh, of Vespero, and then there's another company called Freedom Scientific, and they create the JAWS screen reader. So one of the big advantages of us sort of working, you know, being sister companies, if you will, is that we can collaborate. And one of the things that we did this year is we released a very sort of disruptive technology um, in called JAWS Connect. And what that allows is JAWS users actually have a form in any site where JAWS Connect's been turned on, has a form that allows um, that JAWS user to give usability feedback on that site. So if right. they're using something, they say, hey, geez, you know, even though I got through this, it was a little bit cumbersome, this could be better. They can give that feedback and that feedback goes directly uh, into what's called our ARC platform, which would be used by the um, by the uh, uh, accessibility team at that at that you know running that website, and they can really hear how real users, not not people that do it for a living, not people that understand the technical guidelines, but somebody who's just trying to access their content, perform actions on their site, saying, "Hey, this would be better for me if." And um, it's an important, as Corey said, like next step. Now that it works, you know, so they think of it as a car, right? Is, yeah. There's a difference between a car working and there's a difference between, hey, I really enjoy driving this car. You know? That's the thing, you, you know, accessibility is so intertwined with good design. I mean, surely you must have the issue where you have clients come and say, we want you to make this accessible. And you have to you have to say, look, sorry to break the bad news, but your website is absolutely horribly designed. <laughs> mm -hmm. And however accessible we make this, it's still a stinking pile of, you know, trash. 
to put it lightly, like, do you ever come across that problem? We may think of that in the in the back of our heads, but <laughs> we don't say that. So here's the beautiful thing about accessibility. I'm going to lay it out for you. It's about an equivalent experience. So if their website is a stinking pile of trash for you, Will, it's okay mm -hmm. for it to be a stinking pile of trash for Corey. What it can't be is brilliant for you and difficult for Corey. We've, oh, yeah. We have that argument where people say, like, we don't want to make this accessible. Our users aren't using it. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not, um, uh, we think it's terrible anyways. And we say, that's fine. Then take it down for everyone. If you're going to have it up there, you yeah. need to make it accessible. If you don't, if you think it's garbage, maybe you need time to change it out. So that's, that's a not very your job, concept. is it? You know, that's not your job. Your job is to help people with no. accessibility. I suppose you, you open a massive can of worms if yeah. you start. You know, you know what I come The directive is equivalency. It's Go equivalency. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah. So oftentimes marketing teams will come to us and say, we understand we need to be accessible, but we don't want to diminish our brand. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of um, misconception um, is, is surrounded by, you know, this belief that when you make something accessible, it's not on point with brand or, you know, the, the style is, is tarnished and some sort of we, compromise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it doesn't really have to be that way. And, and we've actually gone through exercises with huge corporations where we'll show them befores and afters, right. Of, of just the visual part uh, as, as an example. And, and they can't even tell the difference, um, mm -hmm. you know, from their perspective, they're not using assistive technology, but you don't have to jeopardize your brand and your style and, um, to make accessibility. Um, well, it strikes me that, you know, if you think about user, web usability, don't make me think Steve Krug's very famous book and manifesto about web usability. Don't know if you've ever read, don't make me I think. I read that in uh, grad yeah. school. Yep. Um, and his, his whole thing is make everything abundantly obvious, basically put minimum cognitive load on the user. Sort of seems to me that if, you know, if you make something really accessible, in, in your in the way that you use the word accessible I mean it surely makes everything it can, can potentially make everything more abundantly obvious for everyone and yeah. that just that's just a good thing in general so maybe it might even iron out some wrinkles in design for for the whole yeah. audience I, it I, gives I alternatives guess. yeah it gives alternatives for example a pie chart um, right can be converted into a table chart and so Maybe other people who don't have a specific or identified disability just prefer to read a table. Um, totally. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's there's actually a name, Will. That's it's very observant of you because there's a name for what you're what you're describing, and it's called the curb cutout effect, mm. or term, I should say, for it. Mm. So if you go back to that example I gave of yeah. of uh, the curb cutout being one of the ways in the physical world that uh, we accommodate for people with disabilities when and, and we go you know we 1990s you know ADA so the curb curb cutouts came after that one of the things that they discovered was that um, skateboarders bike riders travelers with their dragging their luggage with wheels on it workers yeah. pushing large carts they all started using these cutouts curb cutouts mm -hmm. Um, so what, what was put there for people who use wheelchairs is now being used by all sorts of people 
at varying times for varying reasons. And then moreover, this is the really interesting thing to me. They actually did a study where general walkers, like it, I can't remember the percentage off the top of my head, but I think it was something like 80 or 90 something percent of them will go over to the curb cutout and, and yeah. use it versus stepping up on the curb just out of a preference. And even if you just think we go back to our parents, right, who are who are aging and and we're, we'll join them someday. I'm trying not to age, but it's not working out as well as I'd like it to. Um, but even even people who are elderly, uh, it's easier for them to use that curb cutout ramp than maybe take that bigger step. Right. Yeah. And, and they could yeah. be still walking without assistance. Um, but with digital accessibility, better contrast ratios enable us to see our phone in bright sunlight. Yeah. Um, if you sprain your wrist, you may not be able to use your mouse. Your mouse battery could die. Or my son, who's a developer, he's I would put him in this category called power user. And this is to Corey's earlier point. He's one of these people that is using um, the computer so much that he's trained himself to use the keyboard, keyboard so well so he doesn't take time moving over to the mouse, that it's just a better, more preferable experience for him when something is keyboard accessible. So it's a super, very observant, if you will, and a super important concept in all this that usability improves usability or um, accessibility improves usability for everyone, whether it be in temporary circumstances or just in general. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Okay. So as listeners will know, I like to really boil things down into actionable steps that people can take in digital marketing, you know, in, in this field particularly. So if I was running a small business, if I was a small business owner, what would be my first steps into creating a, a more accessible digital experience in, let's say, a, a small e-commerce shop? That's a, that's a really good question. And I'm going to answer that first. Yeah. In the true spirit of the question, right? So not not spending any money, but let's just say you're sitting at your computer right now and you say, exactly. "Hey, I want to I want to do something. What should I do?" Well, there's a there's a, a several things you can do. Probably one of the most important important things is is take your mouse, put it in the drawer, turn it <laughs> off, unplug it, whatever you want to do, and start trying to access your website with just your keyboard keyboard if you if you want to uh, think about like a the the broadish broadest brush you can you could you could stroke with in terms of accessibility mm-hmm. it's keyboard accessibility if you just make your website accessible with a keyboard you're really going to it's going to be the biggest improvement out of any one thing that you can do um secondarily turn off the sound Turn off the sound and see if, do you, do you have a video on your site? What, what are they saying, right? Is that captioned, right? Can you perceive what they're saying without that sound? And then beyond that, we have um, we have a free, what's called a single page scanning tool called ARC, A-R-C. It stands for Accessibility Resource Center, ARC Toolkit. So you can search the Chrome store and download that. Um, automated tools can detect somewhere between 30 and 40% of the accessibility errors. So that might give you some insight without spending a dime on what, you know, what could be going on in your website. Certainly you have images that aren't, you know, that don't have a text alternative to them. Um, And then if you really need to, you know, kick into high gear, obviously finding um, a accessibility expert as a partner like TPGI, you know, that, that phone call is a great first, first step 
But uh, all, all those other things are just really nice ways to, I think people should do them before they dial the phone and call because um, the better understanding, the more empathy you have because you've sort of tried some of this stuff. I think the, the more the whole experience and process is going to make sense to you and feel good to you and be, you're going to understand it on something deeper than a technical level. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you're able to fully answer this question, Corey, I'd like to ask you, like, what are the sites or brands that are doing this really well? That, that would be uh, a good, you know, to research, to look at as really great examples. It's more about the sites that, you know, can take it beyond the checkboxes. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could always look at our site. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but um, no, of course. Uh, uh, we we have a very accessible site. I would go to the W3C site, the World Wide Web Consortium site. They do a very nice job of keeping their site accessible. They also publish the WCAG guidelines that Corey mentioned earlier um, and have a lot of information. So not only would you be seeing an accessible site, that's probably the number one resource for information on the web, you know, general yes. nonprofit. So that's W. 3C the uh, with a number three in there. Yes, right. Um, those are but good What places. about the, the, the big destinations? I'm talking about Amazon, eBay, um, et cetera. You know, are there, are there any of those like big behemoths of the internet that stand out as doing a particularly good job? I mean, I would say both of those organizations are aware of accessibility and have great efforts to make their sites accessible. Um, Accessibility changes day to day, right? Because yeah. we know that websites are dynamic. So just like yeah. one day you could have a low number of bugs on your site and the next day you could have a lot of bugs on your site because you made some changes and some stuff slipped through the cracks. It's the same with accessibility. Mm -hmm. So you, with any site, you're going to see a, a, a variant. But both of the sites you mentioned, I think, are, are probably um, pretty decent. And what about social yeah. media? Corey, how do you find using social media? So. On my phone, you know, I, I primarily, when I have a moment, will we'll look on my phone. Um, I I haven't really gotten to a point where I'm using it full-fledged on my phone, and that's my ultimate goal. Um, and it's not because they don't work. It's just because I haven't had the time to learn the assistive technology that I need to. Um, but I do use things like Facebook and LinkedIn um, and, and can get around pretty well yeah did i mean because i know that instagram introduced alt text i think a couple I, of years ago yeah uh, is, is that helpful or was that is that is no one using it no i think so i'm just an old lady that that doesn't have time to look at anything personal so yeah i, I haven't really gotten onto instagram like a lot of people have um yeah. again not not specific to it not being accessible though um because I'm just interested that, you know, social media is unique, isn't it? Because it's not a website. It's full of content that's user-generated content. And I'm interested to know how these assistive technologies deal with that. What about mobile as opposed to desktop? Is Does does accessibility all become harder on mobile because things are smaller and more tightly packed or not necessarily? Not, not necessarily. There's absolutely a way to do it. Um, it's a different way to um, look at a native mobile app, right? Like something you download versus a web-based mm. um, asset. 
Um, but yeah, it can all, all be done. And there's really no difference. The way I engage with my phone, you know, I do a lot of swiping and double tapping and um, things like that. So it, it's just a little bit different, but still very, very useful. The world is really moving to where mobile is starting to become the preferred way to access the web, right? As, yeah. as every year kind of goes along. And it's the same yeah. for people with disabilities. I find that people who are blind um, really, v- really access the web a lot with their mobile phones. The assistive yeah. technologies built into the operating systems yeah, are very, very imagine. good on mobile. And um, uh, so it's it's extremely widely used. And it might be, I don't know if this is a, a valid point. You know, I imagine having a mobile might be easier to kind of use because you can be closer to it in some way. But you're right. The assistive technologies have been built in, haven't they? into they the have. operating They're system. Yeah. What um, do you think about that as a low vision, somebody with low mm-hmm. vision, Corey, is it easier for you to see your phone or your... Well, there's not much computer. real estate there. <laughs> and the size that I have to get something to see, like one letter would take up my whole phone practically. Uh, right. um, so that's why it's so important for me at this stage in my life to be able to only listen. And so... For example, I know that maybe I have 12 icons on my on my phone. Well, I don't have to worry about trying to see what row to tap. All I have to do is have my um, assistive technology on and I swipe and it calls out everything. And when I have it on the right um, app, I double tap, it's open. So I just it's just a matter of transitioning. So she scans the phone screen with her finger and it announces what her fingers over. Yeah, uh, she yeah. scans when that's turned on. It's brilliant. Yeah. And and by the way, try, you know, for the people who, who are listening, try it, right? Like go to your iPhone, or your Android phone, and just turn the accessibility features on for a bit. You can turn them right off, um, but it'll yeah, give you a little bit of an understanding of how things like that work and how somebody might be using it, you know? When I first started um, being a screen reader, <laughs> The, the information was coming at me so fast, so quickly. And even as a blind person, I, I couldn't deal with it. I, I put it away and, and just just struggled otherwise. But as you do it and, and you just kind of shift your thinking and allow yourself to listen, your brain starts to adapt and you can listen faster and faster. And now, you know, my family and friends will be around me and they're like, how can you understand what what is what's, what's being said? And I'm like, you're, you just adapt, right? Not that I want, you know, people who can see just fine to have to go through that, but it is an ex- interesting exercise. And um, what um, I love as part of um, our organization, TPGI, because we're a sister company um, to Freedom Scientific, the makers of JAWS, mm-hmm. we created a software called JAWS Inspect. So developers, QA testers, you know, marketing people who don't have to time to learn how to be an avid screen reader, uh, which I am still trying to do, can literally see the transcription of what a JAWS user is hearing so that they can just immediately see firsthand that user experience and not have to take all that time to try to learn how to be a screen reader. And it's really powerful and helpful, you know, through the accessibility initiatives. It's very difficult for somebody who can see to learn to use a screen reader just because they have what's called sight bias. And your brain doesn't want to you know, use an alternative method 
Um, so Corey brings up a great point and that's jaws inspect is, is perfect because it gives you that visual, you know, that transcript that you can read. There's a lot of other reasons why it's an advantage, but, um, it is, uh, we, even, even people who cited people who learned to test with a screen reader almost never get to where they can listen to speech as fast as a person who's truly blind, wow. who's, okay. who's completely reliant. It's like learning a language, right? They're just yeah. saturated in that method. Yep. And just in case people want to check it out, JAWS is spelled J-A-W-S, is it? Yes, J-A-W-S. It's an acronym that stands for Job Access with Speech. Oh, wow. And of course, the uh, relation to the name of the scary shark from the 1970s <laughs> hit movie is not lost on anyone. Yeah. So you'll see plenty of uh, uh, sharks, <laughs> drawings of sharks when it comes to JAWS as well. Yeah, but Jaws access with speech is uh, okay. Is what that stands for. I think that's a really good point, though. I think um, I think f- kind of making everyone go and do that switch accessibility features on. Go and check out Jaws, um, and and really just kind of get inside that experience as much as we can, just to kind of understand it. Um, I'm aware time is running short. So, what is it that you say? to people when they say, right, we're the marketing department, but we're being challenged. Is is it worth it? Are we actually losing customers because we're not accessible? Like, wh- what do you tell people? Yes. What do you tell people? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I mean, it, it, it's a, if I come across a website that I can't, you know, navigate, I'll, I don't go back. I just don't go back there. Um, mm. Obviously, I don't have a lot of time, right? I, I have a full time you know, career, kids, uh, household to run, you know, family. When I need to do something, I need to do something. So sites that work for me, I'm very loyal to. I have disposable income. I'll continue going back there. Um, but I guess, you know, I get people that come to me quite often and sometimes they're angry when when they come to me and, you know, who, who, the nerve of someone to tell me I have to, you know, create my software in a certain way. And it's not for as a person with a disability, I'm not looking for a handout. I just want to be able to use my technology to complete actions and to main, maintain independence. Now, I also, you know, prior to working here, I managed departments. I had budgets. I could completely understand, you know, the need to um, not spend something that you don't have a budget for, right? And so mm-hmm. you start small and, and you just take steps forward. They can be baby steps and they can be very, very effective. Mark had mentioned earlier scanning a website. So for those of you don't that don't know, there's technology out there that acts as a crawler, right? So you set it up, you, you, you can scan your actual domain, a web-based domain, and it will look at the guidelines. We have a rules uh, engine that looks at the guidelines, those WCAG guidelines, and will pull back all of the pieces of the website that a machine can pull back, right? So it'll ask binary questions, yes or no, can this do this? Yes or no. So, you know, it's it's only as good as a machine can detect. But the 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 part of that that's so important is you're you're getting a lot more information that you had before. And it is very, very inexpensive, like $29 per month, you know, um, 25 bucks to do a scan. But the information you get and you learn and you can apply is is just very powerful. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you'd have to make a lot of sales to, to pay for that. <laughs> Correct. No, not at all. And and you know, Corey brings up some 
some great points. And I think you heard it straight, straight from her that people with disabilities are incredibly loyal. So when you do serve something up that's that yep. that's a, a reasonable, enjoyable experience, you're likely to have a customer for life, a lifetime. And um, there is no light switch. Accessibility is not, you don't go do something and then you're all set. It's it's really about making those small incremental improvements ongoing. Yeah. The other thing is, is don't, you know, don't assume that you know. You know, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give you one example. One of my clients is a, one of the largest skate brands in the world skateboarding brands in the world. And um, I have had a blind skateboarder on my podcast. So it would be really easy to assume blind people don't skateboard. Yeah, This guy is not only a blind skateboarder, he's a very good skateboarder. He competes and he's got friends who are also blind and have other various disabilities. Um, his name's Anthony. I can give you his Instagram. This guy wants to be able to go on that skate site in order skateboards, trucks, bearings, grip tape, just like anybody else. Um, One of the, one of the, the other blind folks that works for us was just talking to me the other day. Um, His name's Ryan and he, he uh, is uh, married and talks about how often he shops for cars on the web Hmm. because his wife drives but the car itself is very important to him, especially the internal features of the car, because mm-hmm. he's the one changing the radio and doing all that stuff. He's blind. He can't get behind the wheel. It doesn't mean he's not a participant in the shopping experience. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a vested interest in what's purchased. Um, and so that's he's also purchased stuff off of skateboard website. <laughs> the same guy because he's got nephews and stuff the skateboard. So um it's just very, very, very important not to make your own presuppositions. I guess bring it full circle, Will, back to the beginning of the conversation. You just never, never know. And if you allow anybody in this world to participate, they will. And they'll become productive and they'll feel better about their contributions. And they'll participate in anything and everything that you allow them to participate in. So people are listening to this all over the world. What are the official guidelines for this kind of stuff globally? Like, do they differ much? So there are different guidelines all over the world. Um, Most of them, however, are rooted in the the WCAG, what we call the WCAG guidelines, the WCAG, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Um, But if you look at the uh, European standards, there's some differences. Some countries rename the quick guidelines, but really follow um, exactly those guidelines. Um, So if you follow WCAG, you're probably going to be, that's your best general way to go. But certainly if you're looking at different regions, um, Canada's got some uh, slightly slight changes and stuff like that, Um, especially when you're talking about technical conformance and meeting a requirement, there's you probably do want to explore your different regions and just see um, what those yeah. subtle differences are. It won't be anything that uh, shocks you, you know, but but uh, there's definitely some things to pay attention to there. Well, look, guys, I can't believe the time's flown. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been absolutely fascinating. Um, and I dare say that most of our listeners, much like me, kind of heard a new perspective on it, I think. On accessibility, you know, I knew about WCAG or what did you call it? WCAG or something. We, you, you hear WCAG, 
WCAG. There's a few yeah. sort of industry pronunciations um, of it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're, we're aware of that. We're ac- aware of accessibility, but to hear about it in a more, um, I think, real on the ground, more human way is, is really valuable. And uh, no, I really appreciate your time. Just um, remind our listeners where they can find out more about you, about TPGI, and connect with both you, Mark and Corey, online. Yeah, well, Will, thank you so much for having us. Um, to anybody who's willing to to listen and, and and spread the word and share with other people, we appreciate we appreciate you and you having us on on the podcast. You can reach me at m miller m m i l l e r at tpgi.com. Corey. Yes, thank you so much for having us. This was very fun. Um, you can reach me, Corey C O R I, <laughs> at c perlander at tpgi.com. That's C-P-E-R-L-A-N-D-E-R at tpgi.com. And our main website is tpgi.com. We can help anyone, any size. We'd love to chat. And what I would say is don't don't feel like you got you have to have a bunch of money to spend or you got to be ready to do forget about all that. If you have questions, please call Corey or I. At the very least we can get you kind of like you heard today, sort of set in the right direction. And, you know, maybe one day we work with you more than that, but um, we do this job because we want the web to be more accessible to everyone. So please let us help you do that in any way we can. Great. Well, thanks so much. And yeah, good luck on that mission, you know, and, and I hope uh, I hope we helped a little bit. And um, sure you yeah, did. Really, like I say, really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Thank you, Will. Thanks, Will. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about transforming your marketing career through certified online training, head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com. Thanks for listening.